the average UT fan, the way they interact with other fans is like this like weird sense of unearned smugness. Like as it, it's like the it's like the sports equivalent of just like slapping the Benghazi report on the table and being like, what do you think about that? It's like, well, I think it's bullshit. And also, I think you can't read. So you don't know what it says either. Welcome to Chapel Belker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to be doing several things. We're going to be hitting you with both the left and the right, both the jab and the hook here. We're going to be talking about the quarter season review, where UGA is, UGA is from a stats-based uh, perspective, one quarter of the way into the season. And then we're going to be talking about the UT versus UGA game. We will also have, be hitting you with a bevy of Ask CBC questions because you guys so really many. came through. He has really came through in the clutch. Um, and then we will have our patented James Barefield uh, troll corner of the week of the month brought to you of by the, diabetes. Just, <laughs> diabetes. Sorry, brought to you by Cheerwine. <laughs> the, the wine what gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. Um, so, so real quick then, yeah. Let, let's. You want to hop into the quarter, quarter of the season in review? Kind of what's yeah, happening? Yeah, so I, I just wanted to take a brief moment to go over some things. Because I think that, and and I fall prey to this too, human bias and perceptive bias is such that, you know, we tend to be biased towards our own experiences, right? Anecdotal bias, experiential bias, whatever you want to call it. We tend to be biased towards our own experiences and we tend to remember negative outcomes much more clearly than positive outcomes often. Usually in us. Well, yeah, but that's that's just like a general that's fact. That's kind of their whole human, human. Well, that's more also like the human condition, but um, yeah. it doesn't matter. So I think it's helpful just looking at the raw rankings, I'm not even going to give you the actual numbers. I'm just going to give you the comparative rankings. I'm going to give you the comparative rankings for all of these stats. Just because I think it's important to think about where we are on the season. Now, keep in mind that when we give you these stats, they're all out of about 130. So lower is better, obviously. So um, we'll just do defense and offense, uh, and we'll start with general stats. So on offense, Georgia, yards per play, fourth. Success rate rank, second. Rush success rate rank fourth, pass success rate rank third, yards per play rush rank third, yards per play pass rank seventh, havoc rate allowed rank ten. Just from those numbers, we can unequivocally see that Georgia is currently fielding a top ten offense, arguably like a top four or five offense. Um, if you ask F- uh, FEI and SP Plus, they have like kind of radically a diff- uh, different takes on what Georgia's offense is to this point. Um, but there's really no there's there's really no questioning whether or not this is a top ten offense. It unequivocally is. Mm-hmm. Um I think you know, there's been a lot of a gnashing of teeth about where the offense is right now and that it feels like it's being snimied or it's uncreative or it's conservative. But I would say and I and I agree with many of those uh I agree with many of those, you know, I guess barbs those slings and arrows i've been throwing them myself but at the end of the day per snp plus uga is the eighth ranked offense in the nation and uga also just as a random uh a side note per snp plus is the only team in the top 10 that has all three of its units ranked in the top 15 if that makes sense oh yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. so in terms of consistency uh there's not really the reason uga is where they are is basically because they're good at everything they're at least well they're at least good at everything but they're elite at many things so 
looking at defense, uh, Georgia yards per play rank 11th, success rank 12th, uh, SR rank 12th, rush success rate rank 33rd, pass success rate rank 16th, yards per play rush rank 18th, yards per play pass rank 9th, and havoc rate rank 66th. Um, I would say probably a step below the offense at this point. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, currently S&P Plus has them ranked as the 12th best offense in the nation. This is an offense that unequivocally, or a defense that unequivocally can take care of the past. Their explosive rate pass, or their explosive rate, ex- rate of explosive plays in the past game given up is sixth in the nation. They are currently on passing downs, passing down success rate in terms of how many successful plays they're allowing uh, teams to commit against them in passing situations. They are currently ranked first in the nation. They are also first and red zone uh, success rank. So basically, like, if you have the ball inside of their 20, you are very likely to run, unlikely to run a successful play. They've only surrendered one rushing touchdown on the year, and I think they've only surrendered one touchdown inside of the red zone uh, this year as well. They're currently fourth in red zone TD rate rank on defense. So, you know, the weakness of this defense is both in havoc and in stopping the run. This kind of makes sense from a holistic point of view because, you know, the the front seven is probably the most talented side of the defense, but it's also by far the youngest. And a lot of that talent is not currently being utilized because they're not getting playing time because they're so young. So I, I, I think this is a defense, and I wrote this today in my column over at Dog Sports, if you'd care to look. <laughs> and Shameless. And just, you know, uh, maybe just keep that window open, read it, and then engage with it. Leave a comment, whatever. <laughs> click a, it's click no just they're all around the screen. Yeah, just no big deal either way. It, one of the things I said on my column today was that, you know, I think that this is a defense that the they are currently good. They are currently great, but they're not elite, right? If you would, if you would you know, rank things as like good, great, elite, they are not elite. They are in that second tier. However, I would say that their ceiling, I think, is higher than many other elite defenses at this point, simply because they have so many freshmen playing key roles, right? If Tyson Campbell or Tyreek Stevenson, I know Tyson Campbell, or I know um, Campbell is a sophomore, but you have some of these young players that if they step up, Nicobe Dean, Channing Tindall, uh, Tyson Campbell, Nolan Smith, Jermaine Johnson, if they start to have these big games, suddenly you have a team that was already had a good, had a great defense become an elite world-stopping defense. And I really think the ceiling of the team is kind of tied up in that progress because I think, you know, from the broadest holistic perspective, this is a, is easily a top five team. You can make an argument for a lot of teams at number one right now, but I think UGA is unequivocally a top five team. I think that their ceiling is going to be really predicated on how much does the defense grow and how much do this, do the coaches allow the offense to grow? Because right now I think we are as talented as anyone in the country on the offense from top to bottom but I'm not sure that we're utilizing those pieces as efficiently as possible. But I also think that, you know, as it's constructed right now, these are the numbers of a team that can go to the college football playoff. I'm not sure that they're the numbers of a team that can win the college football playoff. And that remains to be seen in terms of the development of the team. So that that's kind of so, where I am a quarter of the season in, which is to say like pretty similar to where we were coming into the year. But yeah. I think, I think I didn't expect the, the offense to be this good. I think that we remember the times when the plays fail even though they don't happen that often, right? Offensively, Georgia's stuff rate rank is sixth. They are mm-hmm. lethal in early downs. They are fourth on uh, success rate on first, on first down or second down. They are first on success rate in first down. And they also, like, if you look at some of their individual breakout stats, like in situational stats, I, I got a really good email or text about this from uh, Dog Stats yesterday 
basically like <clears throat> they are second in the nation at uh, first down rushing yards per attempt. They are 14th in the nation in first down passing yards per attempt. And then they also, their, their success rate actually goes up from first to third down, which is probably as Dogstat said, unsustainable, but also like just ridiculously. I mean, it's, it, that is, those are ridiculously elite numbers. If you're, if you're averaging seven yards a rush on first down and 11 yards passing on first down, basically what that means is that you can score at will from pretty much anywhere on the field. And we talked about this, like, you know, I, or I talked about this on my, on my call today to plug it for the 10th time. But like, uh, I'm kind of like just stealing my my own stuff constantly here. I don't know Nathan, if you guys figured Nathan this writes. out yet. He writes. Yeah. yeah. But I only have one take, you know, so you're either getting it audit- auditorially or visually. So you got to decide how you want it. Um, but I talked about this earlier today where it's like, I think that this is a team that can score at will from pretty much anywhere at the, on the field. But really what matters is the at will part. I don't think that the coaches necessarily want to get in a lot of track meets with teams and the conservative nature of our head coach means that we're not going to do that a lot. So I think a lot of the, you know, ceiling of this team is going to come from not just how to players to develop, but how does the coaching staff's understanding of what this team can do in terms of explosiveness and in terms of fast drives, how does that change over the, as we go through the season? That's where I am a quarter of the way in. Is there any, mm-hmm. like, do you have anything, do you have any reaction to those numbers? Um, uh, more or less what you just said, but I have some questions to kind of uh, ask for the, the listeners, actually. So we do, of course, want to equip people with the knowledge and the tools necessary to talk intelligently about Georgia football. And so question for you to cut to 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 give the people the tools they need to to do that that sort of thing um the subjective narratives that are out there right now are of course and you talked about this in your your article i'll yeah, give you that yeah. one that's your plug <laughs> yeah um, people are saying georgia's offense is bad everywhere i look every article is saying georgia should be worried about their offense it's not very good it's very lackluster it's not flashy much like the two teams to beat out there alabama and clemson and of course now oklahoma and ohio state which are all looking great. And we can talk about those S&P plus rankings, how they changed. But what do we tell the people who say Georgia's offense is bad? What do we tell them to look at? What stats do we pull specifically to hand them and say, no, it's not. It's fine. No, you just, you print out a copy of the radar chart I published today. <laughs> and you, yeah, no, no, no. I, I actually published the, the raw image. So you can just download it. You print out the, you print out a copy of that chart that is basically shaped like a, a regular polygon. You f-ing staple it to their face. You, it doesn't matter how much, God, hold on. Okay. It doesn't matter how much you adjust for opponent. It, that's, that's irrelevant, right? Opponent adjustment is irrelevant to some extent in, in rankings at this point in the season because everyone at, everyone who has a highly talented offense has been playing cupcakes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if you are the fourth or eighth ranked, if you're the eighth ranked offense, you are the eighth ranked offense. That's what you've done comparative to your peers. And certainly that number is going to go around as you uh, go around as you play harder defenses. But that achievement is banked. It happened, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean as much to score 55 against, uh, you know, Murray State or Arkansas State as it does to score 26 again against Notre Dame, certainly. But at the end of the day, ultimately, like, you can't you can't wish away those stats as though they didn't happen just by saying, oh, who have they played? Well, at the end of the day, when you score nearly 30 on a very good defense, you're doing well. When you score 26 mm-hmm. on a very good defense and you have the, the a very good defense yourself, you can do, I mean, you can get away with that. Currently, Notre Dame has the 32nd ranked defense in the nation. 
So not great, but certainly way better than anyone else we played and way better than a lot of other top five teams have played this year. Like, so like just for comparison, just like so that everyone will, if you insist on asking currently, Notre Dame has the 30 is the 32nd ranked defense in the nation right now. Uh, the North Carolina defense that held Clemson to in below 30 is the 80th ranked defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, there's nothing else to say. They're just unequivocally good at everything that we associate with good with good offenses. Now, you can say you don't like the aesthetics of this offense, and that's fine. But acting like that what they're doing doesn't work is just not true. It's unequivocally not true. Like mm-hmm. pretty much everything that you want a good offense to do in terms of you know, being efficient, being explosive, staying on the field, finishing drives, avoiding turnovers, preventing havoc. Every single th- every single test that you can put in front of an offense, they have passed. That's true. And I was just real quick, I was looking over those other the, the teams to beat, you know, and I was trying to see what teams have they played that are even ranked. I know that Ohio State had their first test on on the road this past weekend with what, Nebraska? Mm-hmm. and uh oklahoma has played nobody <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think alabama's in the same situation it's just they're i mean yeah they're they're handily beating their opponents but at the end of the day that doesn't matter they're just getting they're just getting reps essentially is what you're more or less saying like until they get something on the books that looks like a top 10 win like georgia just had last week then we don't entirely have the full story and, Is and that right? if you think, well, yes, but, and if you think about this on a play-by-play data, we have about a quarter of the stats that we're going to have for the season right now. Mm-hmm. So if we can't start drawing conclusions, when can we start? Because at mm-hmm. that point, what you're saying is, well, wait until they play Alabama, but that doesn't make any sense. Moving on from offense, moving straight to defense, then our defense looks great just based on these numbers alone. And I know that in the last four games, we've had all sorts of injuries kind of plaguing the defense. What does this mean then? for say eric stotes is coming back tyson campbell is is meant to come back fairly soon uh and just other defensive members what does this mean for for the defense you think what's it going to look like when it's at full strength well i think that that is also part of the difference between this defense being good and great right it's not just development it's getting healthy and if we can be a top you know 15 defense with injuries and with uh you know freshmen all we're really waiting for is the luck of having everyone we need in the same place at the same time healthy and that's gonna I mean, be very that, exciting yeah i think that's very doable and the last thing i want to look at for the 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 quarter check-in the quarterly check-in is this top kind of the top 10 of the SP plus so and this is going to be exciting for a number of reasons but this week there was a change we can talk about that and what that means for us and just the, the top 10 in general. But I'm going to read down this real quick. And the ratings have kind of gone down a little bit. I think earlier we were starting a little bit higher, closer to 35 points above the the average team. And for those that might not remember, the S&P Plus rating is based on how many points above the average team is this team performing. And it's broken down between offense, defense, and special teams. So we'll, I'll, I'll go through the top 10 and you can stop me at any point. And okay. if you want to add any commentary, let me know. But the the top one team, the number one team is still Alabama. They're 5-0, 31.8 points uh, above the average team. Then you have Ohio State. Uh, they're also 5-0, 31.5 points, so just 0.3 below that Alabama team. Then we have Oklahoma. They're 28.3. Then you have Georgia, 26.4, uh, flat, yeah, 26.5. And LSU has snuck in, 25.7. Uh, Clemson at 6 now. They've dropped considerably down to 24.5. They're tied with Penn State at 24 and a half. 
who have had a, a considerably harder season than Clemson has, if you want to argue about it. Um, and then Wisconsin 4 0, they're 23.3. Auburn 21.7 at ninth. And then Florida 21.5. They're still undefeated on the season. So, how does how does this make you feel, Nathan? What stands out to you? I mean, a a lot of these the sort of stickiness of these numbers is start is going to start to move as we as we get through the season and an S and P plus as the end of the as the like preseason data starts to roll out. So I think it's about mm-hmm. week five or six when it. So starting about now, we'll start to see I think a little bit more movement on these numbers. I'm not saying that Alabama or Clemson aren't the two best teams because I think they unequivocally are. But I think that gap has a lot to do with the stickiness of the numbers in terms of recruiting returns and previous last year's uh, performance, right? And I think that these teams, especially Alabama's defense, is unequivocally different than Alabama's defense (laughs) this year. Um, And I think that as we see more and more results come back from the 2019 season that you'll see those moves i don't know that we'll see a re-ranking in the next few weeks but i do think that we'll see some of that elasticity return to the numbers and we'll start to see a little bit less of a gap especially if uga continues to perform well Mm -hmm. and especially since that you're if you look at this top 10 the teams that have to play each other now until the end before the end of the season uh alabama lsu and auburn georgia auburn and florida Uh, ohio state still has to play wisconsin um and the ones that are safe out of the top 10 at least not having to play each other are clemson and oklahoma there's nobody else in the top 10 they're going to have to play which eh, that's fine clemson has a pretty easy season from here on out nobody thought that unc was going to be as tough as they were for as them, long as they don't unc themselves as long as they don't unc themselves that's exactly Again. right so um it, it will definitely be a different mix before the end of the season but i think that it's fair to say that this top 10 will still it will remain fairly intact. I think that you could see an Oregon or a Washington sneak in. Um, Texas, much like last year, could sneak in by the end of the year, I think, as well. But is there anything that you think, um, when will Florida be mas- uh, unmasked? Like, when will when will some of these teams actually kind of drop I mean, this, from these numbers? This week, right? Because Florida's going to play Auburn. We're going to find something out. Because if, if, yeah, if Florida is for real and Kyle Trask is for real, he needs to prove it against Auburn's defensive line. Mm-hmm. And that'll give us a lot of info as well, because that, that yeah. looking at the rest of the season, that looks like the toughest game for Georgia before the end of the year. So, oh yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that I would pick Georgia in that game at this point this year. Auburn's defense has looked really good. It has looked really good. I actually but need you know, to see more. I need to see more from the coaching staff than I do from mm-hmm. the players. I just think that to this point, like I don't think we're going to be able to run our game plan at Auburn because if we are just going to run until we can't run, I don't think we're going to be able to run with them. Oof, anyway, my heart. Okay. So is there anything life. else you want to you want to throw in for the No, let, let, let's get on to Tennessee. Yeah? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So let's talk about some subjective narratives surrounding this game. Yeah. Uh, and and funny enough, there are not a whole lot of subjective narratives surrounding this game specifically as much as there are just narratives surrounding Georgia as a whole. Um the biggest narrative and you can kind of uh trickle down from from the top down is that Georgia is overrated. Georgia's very overrated, Nathan. And what do we tell the people that say Georgia is overrated? Okay. My response would be, find me a f***ing number that says that that's true and then come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, you're not better. Everybody likes to hate on Paul Feinbaum and Kirk Street and all these people. And God knows I do. 
But like, if you can't bring me a fucking number that shows me the overratedness, if you can't find a market inefficiency, a disconnect between two things in the numbers, then you have like, don't fucking talk to me. This is why I started this podcast is to school people like that. <laughs> find me the numbers and then we'll talk. Show it to me. If not, shut the fuck up. Anyway, so, carrying on. With that same thought in mind, people are also talking about, man, Georgia really missed out on that Justin Fields fellow. And they're comparing Justin Fields and Jake Fromm and talking about, they're using the narrative that Georgia's offense is bad and saying it would be so much better if they would have gave, given Justin Fields a chance. So what are your thoughts there? <sighs> okay, so... I don't, I don't want, I, the problem with this, this conversation and with this, I think discourse is that a lot of times what happens is that it becomes about like whether or not Justin Fields sucks or whatever. And that's like really not a point. Mm -hmm. That's not really the point of any of this. Like Justin Fields is a really good player and I wish he was still on our team. I just like from a program management standpoint, like what can UGA do different? Yeah. They can have a better package for Justin Fields and they can have a not jack offensive coordinator other than that like what are you gonna do i mean what did jake Fromm's do in the year that justin fields was here that makes you think that he should have been benched in favor of justin fields because mm-hmm. like if we it this was not and this is not an instance where you have like an uber talented freshman and the person in front of them is just like a game manager like jake Fromm is good <laughs> so like yeah what where I, I don't know. I mean, first off, from like a pure, like dumb man ball, like coach perspective, the fact of the matter is that like you ultimately can't, you, you ultimately can't like, d- you know, betray what you say to your team when you say that they have to work for their spots by turning over a spot with a proven starter who is one at the, at that point who had won game, big games in basically every situation you asked him to ask him to do and replace him with a guy just because of you know his ceiling and i'm not saying justin fields doesn't have a higher ceiling than jake Fromm. he certainly does but it's like what do you want them to do aside from managing a better package for him which i would argue may not have really helped what's the point what are you doing so it's just a bunch of hullabaloo a whole bunch of well it, i mean it's like yeah it sucks that justin fields left but people who make fun of us are being disingenuous Right. Well, either they're stupid, in which case you don't need to pay attention to them, or they're being disingenuous, in which case their concern trolling shouldn't bother you because it's just bullshit concern trolling. And another subjective narrative surrounding this game, something that Jeremy Pruitt said. I actually took a quote of this because I, I thought it was just pretty indicative of just the way Jeremy Pruitt left this program and just the way he kind of is and kind of proof that he belongs where he is now. Um, Jeremy Pruitt said, in response to a question, uh, is Kirby Smart as good as he is, essentially? Is, is Kirby Smart, is what he's putting out there indicative of Kirby Smart's uh, skill set and performance? And he said, well, Kirby inherited a really good team, and that's why he's good. And I, I'll, I'll give you some numbers real quick, just based off of the last five years of Tennessee's recruiting. 2015, they were fifth. 2016, they were fourth. 2017, they were 15th. And then you have Jeremy Pruitt, 2018, they were 23rd, and 2019, they were 11th. It really doesn't come down to, I believe, you know, he was given a, a just fine program. It was Tennessee. Like, Tennessee, we're going to look at the Winsipedia stats in just a moment, and it's a dynasty of a program. They might not look like they used to right now. It's a good school, and it has very good pull. It just so happens that we have better coaching staff, I feel. What are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, look, 
Kirby Smart did inherit a good program, but so did uh, Jeremy Pruitt. And mm-hmm. ultimately, Kirby Smart chose to work at a, at maybe the only place in the SEC or the world that you could say is more f***ed up and dysfunctional eternal, internally than every other SEC school, right? Like, it, it's hard to get past the just average level of SEC internal politics and dysfunction, right? And so picking to go to Tennessee, like it's the, it's the one place in the world that is worse than average, right? (laughs) Like it's just like Phil Fulmer is probably going to take his job and obviously wants to be back in charge. And I I don't know, man, like I get, I mean, I guess my biggest response is like scoreboard mother. I I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Like we can count all the players we want. One of these teams has lost to Georgia state. Like, yeah, that's a little easy. That's easy to say, and it's maybe on the nose, but it's true. <laughs> One team has an SEC win. One team hasn't lost to an FCS school. Georgia State's not an FCS school. Sorry. <laughs> but there are several FCS schools who would whip this Tennessee's team's ass. And even looking back at just Mark Richt when he handed the program off to Kirby Smart, the recruiting years, you have 2014. We were ranked 8th recruiting year. 2015 ranked, I think, 12th sixth sorry um 2016 you got sixth and then it goes up from there third and we all remember 2018 being a uh number one and then the following year number two right now currently we have a number six ranked 2020 which there's still plenty of time that doesn't really mean anything at all so yeah i mean look and that that's the thing um ultimately the results count and yeah sure any team who takes over a coach in the SEC champion and the SEC conference is taking over a team that's good. Any coach that takes over a team in the SEC, right? Yep. You have it, at Tennessee yeah. has more re, he has more resources than ninety percent of teams, and the fact that he's losing to Georgia State is unexcusable. If he finishes yeah. the season with them, I'll be shocked. It all depends on what you do with it. Yeah, you can be given yeah. the best tools in the world, but if you don't know how to use them, then what are you doing? Um, and also. <laughs> I actually wrote this in the notes. Uh, something that cracks me up. There, there's a lot of... This is more in the Twitter sphere. People are just talking about, and I think that you can probably have a good time talking about this, just how Jim Chaney and Jeremy Pruitt are just building the shittiest Death Star together over at Tennessee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's the it's the, it's the the Death Star that kills its users and then replaces them with a big orange pumpkin. <laughs> and laps their way all the way to the bank <laughs> yeah yeah i'll take that all right coach i'll take that uh i'll take that payout now and you can just go ahead and take over uh are there any other subjective narratives you want to share before we he- head into the world stats nah i mean i kind of hate tennessee so i'm excited about this weekend <laughs> do you want to talk about how much you hate tennessee it's you just not ha- like happen organically yeah let's just let it happen it's gonna happen so let's just just let it happen okay so I'm going to head into the Winsipedia real quick. And okay. this year is particularly important, at least for the history of this rivalry, because this will be the first year that one of these teams comes out above the other um, in, a, in a long time, you know, and, and it'll start providing some separation. Um, Georgia's coming from a deficit, actually, of Tennessee being on top of Georgia for the last however many years. Um, they came from 21 to 23 with two ties between the two of them. They've won the last two years, and now it's tied at 500. So 23 on each side with two ties in the middle. The largest margin of victory was back in 1981, 44-0 for Georgia. Um, and the Tennessee's largest margin of victory was 46-0 way back in 1936. So it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But 
1981 is a pretty important year as far as the Georgia program goes, as we all know. Um, but really, if you look at the numbers alone, if you took the names of these teams off and everything surrounding them, Tennessee looks like a program that has just done more with what they've had over time. Um, but in recent years, Georgia has definitely come away with a lot more to show for it. So, you know, Georgia is, of course, the the second ranked uh, team as far as bowl games go, just attending bowl games at 55. Tennessee is right behind at fifth with 52 bowl games, but Tennessee has four more national championships to show for it. Uh, they have two more conference championships to show for it. They're at 12th ranked all-time record. We're at 13th, so not too far off, but there's still about 16 more wins overall all-time. And so these are pretty evenly matched as far as the, the history of the programs go uh, when you look at the stats. But as we're saying, like when you look at the different charts you've made and, and if you actually read Nathan's article, which if you haven't at this point, I'm not sure what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I guess this is when Zaddy Nathan gives you like... Zaddy Nathan. His, He's claimed his, it as his own now. Look, Megan Alford called me a Zaddy, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the top like two compliments I've ever been given. Easily. So I'm leaning into it, my boy. Uh you should. Stop what you're doing and go read my go read my article because by God, I haven't done anything this week because I'm on fall break. And that was the one time where I like hauled my carcass off the bed and stopped reading weird Chinese light novels uh for long <laughs> enough to write out some stuff. So I, I feel like I deserve some credit for it. You did it. So yeah. just to, to wrap it all that up, though, these are two very evenly matched teams on paper as far as the history of the programs goes, um, prestige yeah. and whatnot. But this year would not... Record. Yeah, as far as the record goes. But this year would not show any favoritism towards that idea. This is this is not going to be, at least by what stats say, a fair game for one of these teams. Do you want to, like, you know, rotate into the... Uh, rotate into talking about the stats while we're here. Oh yeah, is I think a good that's time, exactly, a good transition. That's a good, good segue. So hit time. me with them. Um. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, let's just start with the basic assumption that that UGA is basically better than Tennessee at pretty much everything, and then I'll give you like the individual things where UGA out where where Tennessee is about as good as UGA or a little bit better because there's like two of them. So we'll just start with there's a giant gap in talent between these two teams pretty much all the way across the field at pretty much every position. Now there are some exceptions to this. Jawan Jennings is a very talented wide receiver. They got a couple of very talented players in the defense, but for the most part, UGA is going to have more talented players. So when UGA has the ball in most, in most, you know, uh, areas, UGA is going to be unequivocally the better team, right? Uh, there's, you know, about a 20 between a, between a 30 and 50 uh, rank gap in most of the uh, basic offensive stats that we measure between UGA and Tennessee. Um, one of the few places the Tennessee is even close is that they're within 18 ranks uh, in habit rank and habit havoc rate. That's the scotch talking. They are within. Nah, that's now I'm a, <laughs> it, it's, it's four roses. This this man drinks American. <laughs> I don't, I don't do many things American, but I believe in that Kentucky sour mash, my boy, my dude. Um, but uh, yeah, the, one of the few places where when uh, UGA has the ball, when the, when the game is even going to be close is in Havoc rate versus Havoc rate allowed. So UGA is the 10th offense in the nation at Havoc rate allowed, and UT's defense has actually been decent at causing Havoc at 28th in the nation. 
Uh, other than that, there are only a couple of places where it gets close again. Yeah, really, when Uche has the ball, it's pretty much a total mismatch. And it's actually like kind of a total mismatch, like like a really bad total mismatch. I had a couple of places, like really, really obvious when Uche has the ball. Like So, for instance, like Uche is um, fourth in rush success rate, and uh, Tennessee is 40th. UGA is third and uh, pass success, uh, success rate and UT is 59th. Just those two alone should tell you how this game is probably going to go. <laughs> I don't know that we're necessarily going to like pick our score, but we're going to get pretty close to it. In fact, one of the few places where UGA is actually worse than UT is in uh, success rate on fourth down, which has to do with the fact that UT's defense has had to uh, defend a bunch of fourth downs because Georgia State kept on going, out, going for it on, on them. Um, you know, situationally by field position, UGA in like very much has uh, some distinct advantages when it comes to breaking it down by down. So yards to go third rank UGA when their average third down yardage is uh, 33rd in the nation. UT their average third down yardage allowed as in like the third downs they put themselves in 121st. Not great. That's that's not great. Currently. The average, their average third down yards to go, as in like the average amount of like their yards to go on third down is currently six. So like with negative plays, like I know that doesn't sound like much, but with negative plays accounted for and with busted plays accounted for, they're still giving other teams on average a third and six, which means a lot of times they're giving them way shorter than that. Being ranked 121st in the nation at anything means that you are just like straight trash at it. I mean, and if you look at their success rate surrendered, their their second down success rate is 52nd and their third down success rate is 82nd, which means not only are they allowing teams to put them in third, short, third and short more often than not, when they get teams in third and short, they're letting them convert. So I, I think this is definitely one where UJ is going to run the ball. We're going to run the oh, ball yeah. and run the ball and run the ball. That's always true, but it is really true here. UGA's opportunity rate rank, which is the the percentage of uh, uh, rushes that we have that go for more than five yards, is currently 56%. But um, Tennessee, and that's good for 13th in the nation, Tennessee is currently surrendering uh, five-yard rushes on 45% of their rushes defended against way worse teams than, tennis, uh, than UGA. Right, they're fifty-fifth in the nation at that stat. I think we're going to be facing a lot of second and fives and second and fours on this in this game. I think we're just going to run it constantly. And I mean, it, it it's it's just not good. It's it's not good for them. Their mm-hmm. stuff rate rank, how often they just stuff the ball within um, the first couple of yards of the line of scrimmage is seventieth. It's not great. And then when UT has the ball, they're you know things get a little closer because UJ's defense is not up to par with its offense as of right now, but it's still a pretty significant gap in in most places. So one of the few things that UG, uh, UT I think is going to be able to do, I think they're going to be able to run with, I will say, some small modicum of success. Um, their rush success rate rank is, hold on, I left the, I lost the page. Give me a second. Uh-oh. That got it. All right, uh, Tennessee's rush success rate rank is 32nd in the nation, and UGA defending it is 33rd. So I think they're going to be able to get some yards on us on the ground. I don't know that it will matter because I don't know that they're going to get stops. And Kirby has proven that he knows how to win the game that you play when you are when the other team can't stop you from running the ball. When the other team can't stop Georgia from running the ball, Kirby ha- is not quite undefeated, but he's pretty damn close. And I don't know that this is going to be a game where that's any different. 
right? I mean, the only other places where UJ's defense might be in some trouble is that, um, you know, Tennessee is not very good at preventing havoc on offense, but also UGA is not very good at creating havoc on offense. UT is 75th in havoc rate allowed, uh, but UGA is only 60th in havoc rate created. Uh, so I don't know that we should necessarily expect like a four sack two interception day. However, I will say they have played two games against um, Chattanooga and Georgia State and one game <laughs> against BYU. BYU is a good FBS football team, but they are not they are not that they're, good. Yeah, they're above average. Yeah. I zoned out for a minute because I was just thinking about how bad this Tennessee team is this year. Yeah, they're really pretty bad. I mean, they're we can really kind of move We can kind of move on. There's not really much of a place where you can say that, man, these two teams are going to be close. I mean, and I did try. I really I think, did. Here, here's what I think is I think UT, UT is going to have some early success rushing and then it's not going to matter because they're going to get behind far enough that they won't they won't have the opportunity to run much. Yeah. And that is something I was looking at, too. I was looking at your 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 charts uh, and the only areas that they actually match Georgia on is that rushing success uh, rushing success rate stand, uh, blah, 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 blah. rushing success rate um, rank it, it matches Georgia's and then I think there was one more that is not actually on this presentation that's actually in these stats there is the when uh, Tennessee's on offense their stuff rate rank that you already talked about but it that those are the only things that actually match or surpass Georgia um, and it's just it's just kind of bad it's just a bad team yeah it's, it's a really bad not- team it's just not they're not good and if we and my my biggest takeaway from this game is like you know everybody wants you to like hoist yourself on your own petard which by the way is a reference to buried explosives that were popular in the medieval and late in late medieval early renaissance siege warfare doesn't matter but um it's a it's also a shakespeare reference doesn't matter but everyone wants you to hoist hoist yourself on your own petard where you have like this like oedipal hubris and well not oedipal you have this like uh greek tragic hubris and you say like UGA can't lose to UT and then they, you know, and then you, and then they lose. And then someone puts up the clip of you saying that, but it's not that UGA can't lose. It's that if they do lose, something went very wrong because oh, yeah. beating UGA will not make this UT team better. They are bad. They're already bad. If they beat UGA, it'll be because of some real fluky weird ass and they'll still be bad, and we will just have lost to a bad team. And yeah, that's embarrassing, but there's nothing about this game or about these stats that say that this team is anything other than bad. Yeah. Just bad. It's unfortunate. I do. Yeah. F- I and, feel bad that they are bad. Like, I, Have you watched any of the Tennessee games? Yeah, I have. They're, they just look messy. Like, I see people out there, and I'm like, what's happening? Like, why? How? What? Like, watching uh, Jarrett Gar- Garantano, and I tried practicing his name before we even got on here. Jarrett Garantano. Garantano, I don't know which one it is, but it's a little bit of both. It might be his fault. It might be his receiver's fault, but it seems like it could be his offensive line's fault. But it just seems like every throw that comes out is wobbly. And, you know, God bless you, Tennessee. You've stuck with Jarrett for as long as you have. But he's just not the right fit for this team. And it shows in the fact they cannot get their offense started. I, I just, I don't really feel bad for him, man. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> I really you are don't. You're a sensitive person despite that. I know that. But 
I yeah, know how much I, hate you harbor for Tennessee in your heart. I have a I okay, I always have to say this because like I do have a lot of friends in Knoxville and I lived in Knoxville for a few years and there's a lot of things I like about this place. So what I'm about to say is really directed about like the average UT fan. The average UT fan, the way they interact with other fans is like this like weird sense of unearned smugness. Like as it, it's like the it's like the sports equivalent of just like slapping the Benghazi report on the table and being like, what do you think about that? It's like, well, I think it's bullshit. And also I think you can't read. So you don't know what it says either. Right. So, and then they just stare at you all smug. Like they they point to their Peyton Manning Jersey and they just stare at you as they're like, yes, this, this is the irrefutable proof that God exists and everything is right in the world. Like I like just like, I've never met a group of people. And now again, I'm talking about the Tennessee fans I interact with, not the Tennessee fans that I'm friends with, but I've never met a group of people that I'm more just like, that are more just like contemptuous of intelligence, more <laughs> that are more happy to just bask, bask playfully in their own ignorance, like a, like a beautiful wild river otter in, you know, down in the Colorado river in the great Canyon clutching a pebble and rolling around in the mud so gleefully that's what that's what ut fans do with their ignorance it's so it's it's infuriating low-key tennessee when i was in redcoats was the place like i only got in a fight at at the florida game in the south carolina game but low-key tennessee was the place i was trying to start a fight let's move into things we want to see practice was today practice was um Hot, I imagine. It's still super hot. But a few good things that came out of that practice. Eric Stokes is back at 100%. And Tyson Campbell is practicing, though he is still limited. Um, With those two folks coming through, I'm excited to see what Stokes looks like and if he's going to be confident coming back. And if we do see any of Tyson Campbell in this this game on Saturday. so Yeah, if Eric Stokes is at full... I think Eric Stokes is one of those people that can turn this this, uh, defense from great to elite. I mean, I mm-hmm. think he's an elite cover corner, and having him will be a, a, a boon to us. For sure. Then we have Kiaris Jackson is coming back. He's expected to play this weekend, so that's another wide receiver to good add to the depth. It's good depth, yeah. Um, David Marshall is back fully. Um, didn't see a lot of him this season yet, but... What can we expect from David Marshall, do you think? Just more rotation. Well, I mean, he's just been ends. hurt. He's one of the, he's one of the better... He he's one of our better defensive linemen. He's explosive. He's powerful. He takes up blocks really well. He's mm-hmm. he's really quick. Uh, he's just been hurt for two years. And then Solomon Kinley's still out. So there's that. Yeah, it looks like Solomon Kinley is going to be missing. And I mean, in terms of what I want to see this year or this weekend, like I want to see those guys get back. I don't know that I would really want Solomon Kinley to play because I kind of think we're going to win no matter who yeah. Whether yeah, he yeah, plays yeah. or not. He needs a rest. Yeah, I, and I I'm kind of just like. If you got to rest somebody, like don't rest the starters, but you got to rest somebody that's kind of probably okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I want to see those guys play. I also like my big thing is I just want to see, I want to see an aggressive game plan on offense starting in the first quarter. This 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 coaching staff, I think one of its hallmarks is that they have really good success rates in the third quarter, and mm-hmm. they seem to adjust really, really, really well. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I I just would like to see us come out and crush someone, which we did two years ago at Tennessee when we played it when we beat up forty one to nothing. Oh yeah. So I want to hit. So I, what I want to see is I want to see uh, Georgia beat that margin of victory. So that, that their largest margin of victory that I mentioned earlier, the forty four to zero. I yeah. would like to see that surpassed just a little bit. That'd be pretty cool, right? 
we, I think if we get to 47 and beat their largest margin of victory, that would make me feel happy. That would be super cool. <laughs> um, what else do we want to see? Um, I would really like to just see... I, I, I just want to see us throw on first down. We just need to throw on first down. We're averaging 11.4 yards on first down. Like, we need to throw on first down. Like, there's just no... Like, we're averaging a first down on first down. And yeah, I know if we threw more on first down, that number wouldn't be as good. But at the end of the day, it's just like, light them up, man. I, I And I think we need to have a good run game. Like, I'm not anti-run game. I, I don't want that to be said. But like, 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 if this, if we want us, if we want to be our best selves as a team and as a, as a people, then we need to be able to throw on first down. That's just the, that's the long and short of it. Let's move into some over-unders real quick. So my over-unders are really centered around the Tennessee performance because I feel okay. like depending on how well Tennessee does this weekend is more, it, it kind of tells the story of how well UGA is playing because I, I want to see UGA stamp Tennessee out this weekend. I want them to, mm-hmm. to like you said, make it hurt. I want them to come out swinging real hard and I want to make sure that, that Tennessee just has no shred of of hope essentially, <laughs> which I know that that contradicts what I was just saying a second ago. I, I don't, I, I feel bad for them in a way, but um, yeah, I, I, those are kind of where my over-unders are sitting. So Jared Garantano, Garantano, I think I've said his name differently each time at this point, but he is sitting on seven sacks in the season um, and Georgia state sacked him four separate times. So my first over-under is over-under Jared Garantano, four and a half sacks. Like he is sacked four and a half times. Yeah. Well, it, that's a not not he's now. not he's not he's playing both ways and he gets four and a half sacks no uh, he gets over sacked under four and, four and a half times i'm gonna say under oh yeah. they're gonna be throwing a lot I'm still i think gonna say so under. i still i'm gonna say under i'm gonna say under let me i'm actually so i'm gonna move to four instead of four and a half will that change your opinion at all uh, i think three sounds more like it okay i'm gonna go with the push and hope that we are just as good at Georgia State at throwing some havoc in there. <laughs> I think we're I think we're unequivocally worst at it, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> I wanna I I was really I tried my best to count your unequivocally sta- uh this this episode because that was like your word this episode for some reason. It's so good, man. <laughs> That's a good word. That that word is so good when you're indignant and you're like just ready to talk. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. The next over under is Tennessee rushing yards. 99 and a half so are they going to go over 100 they're going to stay under 100 what are we going to keep them at for this game and i don't i don't think this is going to be because Mm. tennessee is having like a really great day i think it's uh really how long do the um how quickly do we get up and how well do we defend against the run for this game i'm gonna say under yeah uga or notre dame had fewer than 100 yards so they did that's very true. Yeah, Notre Dame had forty six yards, I think, forty eight, something like that. I'm just that's off the top of my head. I haven't looked it up yet. With a, a dual threat quarterback on top of that, yeah, yeah, which Tennessee does too. But they're, I mean, they're part Tennessee. of the problem with that is that it counts sacks as rushing yards. But other than that, yeah, I still think it's under. Hit me with some over unders. Um, well, you stole one of mine, so I've only got. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. No, I've only got two for you. Uh, over under eight, Uncle Rico snaps. Ooh, Uncle Rico. I'm gonna say under still. Oh, fancy, spicy. Okay. I mean, because we're getting into our, our, our SEC play at this point. I think that we'll definitely see him for the fourth quarter, but I think we also might see some of uh, what's over his face? Four, Nathan Presley. Nathan Presley. Over yeah. four games, he has twenty three. He has twenty three snaps. 
So that's right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's hard I, to I say. Put it yeah. there, I put it there for a reason. Uh huh. So what what is what are you saying then? I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna say over just to be different, but I I kind of suspect it'll be under. Okay. And then your last one, hit me with it. Um. Yeah, that'd be over under 45 UGA points. Slamming that over. Slam it. <laughs> Slam it. I want to go over too. I want to believe. Clap your hands if you want UGA to believe. Yeah. Just find your happy place. Yeah. You have to believe in fairies. And so that is actually a really great segue to move into predictions though, because let me let me show you kind of what Vegas and the odds are kind of telling us right now. So this is a 24 and a half point spread in UGA's favor, but mm-hmm. it is a 52 and a half over under. So they're predicting Tennessee's going to get some points, which is fine. But it, from what they're saying, they're going to get a lot more points than we might be comfortable with. So with that in mind, where will you paint me a picture, you beautiful boy? I think that Tennessee has a significant, significantly more talent than they've displayed on the year. Um, and I think that... Tennessee, you know, they have a lot of, they have, they have some speed on the end on the outside. So I think short term, they'll probably limit explosive plays on our perimeter players. I think Demetrius Robertson, George Pickens will have good days. I don't know that they have uh cornerbacks that can run with them for four quarters, but ultimately I think what this game comes down to is that we're just going to run them to death. We're going to, we're going to run them to death. We are just going to I mean, I, I could see us running the ball like 45 times on this game. And I think eventually, because they've, they're have they very close to quitting on their coach, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to use the Q word because you just don't know. And that's not very journalistic. And we're not journalists, but we try to be journalistic sometimes. But I, I, oh, I think we might make them quit. If not on their <laughs> coach, then on the game. I just think, I think, I think we're going to do the thing where we run. We run, you know, we run um, DeAndre Swift out there and he has like a 25 yard gain and then we take him out and then Brian Harrion has like a 15 yard game and then we put DeAndre Swift back in and he scores a touchdown. Like, I think we're going to do that to them a couple of times where it's just like, oh yeah, oh, but by the way, also Zamir White's here. Like, I just think, I think if you do that to a team four or five times, sometimes they'll just give up and we're going to play a lot of, a lot of teams this year that we cannot do that to this is a team that we can do that to yeah i think i think we're just going to run them until they give up and then i think that's the point when we're going to hit some big plays and i don't think we're necessarily going to hit big plays on like design downfield throws i think we might do like a a wide receiver screen to george pickens or like a stick route to eli wolf or just something and they just aren't tackling very well this year and that we will just bust a couple of very big plays on them that are not designed to be that way because you have a safety take a bad angle or something. And they have good players. I mean, they got Nigel Warrior on that team still, but I just think if you can run the... I mean, it's kind of a dumb coach axiom that a lot of the time doesn't work, but I think this is one of those times where you can make it work and you can just run them until they quit. So I don't... I think this is going to be a game where they score a little bit more than we're comfortable with and it ends up being like... I'm going to say like 40... I'm going to say 48-17. That okay. adds up in my head, right? I think that it probably goes into the third quarter like 48-10. Okay. I like that. So they don't cover, but they score more than we think. Yeah. I think the Tennessee-Florida game is the best 
example, obviously, of what this might look like uh, as far as defenses go. Our defenses are, are fairly similar as far as ranking goes and just stat sheets goes. And so we can kind of look at that to kind of start to speculate as to what this might look like. That game ended 34-3 in Florida's favor. I can't imagine this being too much different than that, uh, except I do think that we'll pull our starters sooner and start resting them sooner. They, you know, Florida needed a, to keep their offense on the field a lot longer than, than Georgia might have to at this point. But I do agree with you that Georgia's probably going to run the ball down their throats and run the ball and then run the ball and then run the ball. You know, Kirby's been saying in press conferences all the last couple of weeks about how he wants to get Samir White more involved. He wants to get James Cook more involved. He wants to get third, fourth, and fifth running backs more involved in the game. And so I think these are the games that we will see them more often. And I, I posit to to think that that might be the case just because he's already said that Kiaris Jackson will get a lot more play in this game, coming off of an injury and also somebody who's not a one. And so we're going to see mm-hmm. those, those lower... Uh, those lower folks on the totem pole on the offense playing. So, which means we're going to pull our offense a little bit sooner. So we might not be scoring as much later in the game. And uh, if we're pulling our offense, we're most likely pulling our defense as well, which means Tennessee will probably be scoring a little bit more than they scored against uh, Florida's ones uh, late in that game. So we'll probably see Georgia somewhere in the forties and Tennessee somewhere in the low teens, I feel. And so my, my probable final prediction is going to sit at around, um, 49-13. So let's head into our favorite segment of the show, Ask CBC. If you want to hear your questions asked on the show, then make sure to get them to us, which you can do by either hashtagging it AskCBC or getting it to us through regular old email or, sure, snail mail. We don't have any addresses on the internet, but you might be able to find it because the internet's creepy. Austin Vaughn asks, the UGA offense, after last year's loss to LSU and following the closer-than-expected win over Notre Dame, uh, Kirby seemed to buck at the thought that the offense was holding anything back. Is it time for Kirby to explore an off overhaul or an offensive overhaul or are all of our UGA's goals attainable as is? Ooh. Does that make sense? I don't know that they're all attainable as is, but I do think that it's not necessary for them to have an offensive overhaul. I think the overhaul that needs to happen is just Kirby's approach to game planning. And and my understanding right now is that Kirby's influence on in game planning is that he wants to establish a run pretty much at all costs. And I don't, it's not that that's a bad thing to want. I just don't know if that thinking is going to get us to the national championship. That's all. Mm -hmm. John Powell's got a three for first one coming through is haven't heard anyone touch on the lack of Zeus in the previous game. Kirby's explanation was weak given the depth of uh, running back and how effective he's been lately. Why hold him out or back? We want to run the ball and can't throw fresh guys at a problem. Yeah, I wish they had, but also my understanding is that in practice Zeus has had some trouble with fumbles. And uh, so I think that I think that Kirby being the inherently conservative coach that he is, he just like his natural inclination was to lean towards the upperclassmen. Mm-hmm. And he did that all the way through the game. I mean, there's a reason Channing Tindall and Nicobe Dean didn't get hardly any snaps in that game. Yeah. Can we talk about how UGA is one of two teams in the country to not give up a rushing touchdown thus far? How does that compare to teams in the past? And I feel like this is an obscure stat to see, but what's the longest a team has gone without giving up a rushing touchdown? I have no Uh, idea how to look that up. I don't know the, I don't know the last, the answer to that last one, but I do know that like, um, I, I do know that he, that they are in the past few years, we have not gone that long. Like I know that that this is a, 
a very much um, improvement over the past few years. However, I'm not sure that that has more to do with our opponents than it has to do with who we're playing or mm-hmm. the, like our opponents than how good we are. Right. Because like Notre Dame has good running backs, but they want to, they want to throw the ball. Yeah. And then the last question is, let's talk about UGA being the only team ranked in the top 15 in each of the SP plus factors, which we did plenty mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, a lot of those teams are lacking a solid special teams uh, stat pool, uh, like Clemson and Oklahoma and Alabama. So there there might be more to pull from the rest of the season just because we're so early in the season. But uh, Philip Nowicki, more impressive from having thrown fewer interceptions than the number of times he's been sacked or UGA having four running backs of carries over 29, 29 plus yards. Which one is more impressive is what he's trying to ask. Um, I think the second one, because I think the most impressive from stat is just his completion percentage. Mm-hmm. Next one, Smith. This is Jason is a Smith. <laughs> uh, is there any way to use advanced stats to determine how Justin Fields would perform versus Jake Fromm in the same system? Or does Lessing stitch separate such answers for all eternity? Yes. The second one, you can't also, prove a counter that that's like, like you can't prove a counterfactual. And like you can't undiverge, uh, you can't undiverge the like timelines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Mollis, difference of run pass tendencies based on formation from last year to this year and how it affects success rate. That's not, not really that, a question. It's not. Although a, I will hold on. Here's 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 what I will do. I would point you towards the uh, the the great stats dog. Or dog stats. He just got a gig over at Bulldog Illustrated, mm-hmm. and his first blog post was about running and passing out of the 10, 11, and twelve personnel. Go look yeah. it up. So, so overall, percentages good. aren't that different, but the way we're doing it is different. And that yeah, article and, will give you plenty of information. Dog stats has got you covered. If mm-hmm. you listen to this art, if you if you're one of the people that's like, I don't read books, and you listen to this this podcast, get the f- off of my podcast. Next question comes from Ben Shepherd. Was it just me, or did the Georgia uniforms, especially the helmets, that's in parentheses look different under the new lights. The shade has always changed slightly from sunlight to overhead lights. And if the new LEDs are whiter, then maybe I'm not imagining things. Question mark. Yeah. I mean, uh, the new lights are, they're very crisp. I think it's like higher, higher saturation. Mm-hmm. Which is the an LED thing. Yeah. So you're going to get better contrast, uh, you know, from color to color. Nathan's not the guy to ask though. He's colorblind. I mean, I can not, see not contrast. Mother like <laughs> Damn. Okay. Granite Dog, what is our O-line success rate for this part of the season? What was Ian Book's average speed of getting the ball out of his hands on pass attempts? Those I think it was like 2.4 seconds. It was really fast. And our O-line yeah. success rate, that's hard to measure. But I like to. I think a good one for that is opportunity rank, which is like how often are you giving uh, yards of first or uh, how often are you creating five-yard runs, which is basically the first five yards is what the offensive line is the most uh, responsible for. And currently, uh, UGA on offense their opportunity rank uh is opportunity rate rank i hate i hate those two words together is thir- <laughs> is uh 13th in the nation which is very good 56% of the time so i would say i mean just like unequivocally a very very good offensive line mm-hmm. the next question comes from our patreon discord uh if you didn't already know on patreon you can contribute just a dollar a month and you can get on the patreon discord which allows you access to live recordings which people are listening right now as we are recording this and also uh just a really awesome community of folks that are like-minded individuals that you can say dumb stuff to and not worry about being judged and you can hear Uh, all the stuff that we have to cut out yeah (laughs) 
which there's I'll a good fired. bit from this episode. Yeah. Uh, Chapel Way Bowl distribution. Should we be worried about our punting? Uh, yeah, maybe. How so? I don't know. I mean, yes, but if he can't get it together, but Jake Camarda is an incredibly talented punter. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we should be worried in terms of talent. We just need to be worried in terms of like, can he make it happen? So what happened with the big shanked punt last week? I mean, he shanked it. I, I, Did he shank it? What? Well, what? I, let me let me clarify. Was it all Jake Camarda, or was it uh, blocks I mean, I think, being missed I, in the backfield? I think some of it was a missed block. He got pushed up into, but mostly mm-hmm. he just shanked it. And okay, I mean that's gonna happen. He's but he's not young, so young that it's explainable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And next question comes from Stage Manager for Life, Abby. Do you expect us to finish the regular season undefeated, or does anything in the stats show us a possible upcoming loss in the regular season? Nathan already hinted towards this. I mean, he's, he's worried. Uh, Auburn, Auburn would be the game I'm worried about. Yeah, very worried about Auburn. I think that we definitely need to see more from this Auburn Florida game coming up to really kind of start to speculate what might happen in that Auburn Auburn Georgia game. But I am definitely worried. Other than that game, yes, we're fine. I I believe so. Um, we're looking at an eleven one or twelve zero season. Next question is Irk Russell. He's got a two for what is the worst song played in opposing stadiums? I vote Sandstorm. <laughs> Yeah, um, Sandstorm's pretty bad. Third down for what is pretty bad. I you got it's got to be Sandstorm. Sandstorm. How do you feel about mm-hmm. Rocky Top though? In the mix of those, uh, it's it's a song. It's <laughs> you're not yucking yums for this one. I mean, I don't want I, my 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 general take is that I'll never talk crap about bands. Okay. Um, I don't like that they pipe music in. That's one of the big, most annoying things about uh, UT, which to be clear has nothing to do with their band program, uh, mm-hmm. is that they pipe music in to the crowd with speakers facing the crowd, and they will put a they will put a speaker directly in front of UJ's band and just pipe Rocky Talk top over us constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's not even it's it's a recording of Rocky Top. It's not even the live it's not even the live playing. Second question from Eric Russell is: What would you rather, UGA holding UT without a score and a huge win, or a classic hobnail boot finish? No, I want every I want every other team to cancel the football program. So like I want to I want to beat them 124 to nothing. So I want I want to beat whatever that stupid Cumberland Georgia Tech game is where they talk about like oh we won it's by like the highest margin ever to zero or something. Yeah, I want I want to win by I want to win by one more point than that every game. Uh, next question comes from Mark Williams in our Gmail, and it ties into another Mark actually who sent me a, a message on Facebook, West Coast Mark, in fact. And so I will read uh, their questions kind of together and. Um, well, West Coast Marks is, is a bit more in West Coast Mark fashion, wordy, and uh, a bit more of a story. So Mark Williams and West Coast Marks in this end. So UGA has a scheduling anomaly with only Kentucky and A&M having a game on the Saturday prior to facing UGA. Every other team has a bye week prior to facing UGA except Tech, which has a Thursday game. If a train is coming from Atlanta and, <laughs> and oh, is traveling me. east... and <laughs> No, I'm just joking. UGA except Tech, which has a Thursday game, nine-day gap prior to their UGA match... What do the statistics say about this scenario? Tennessee and Florida have UGA and their opponent with a bye week. Safe to assume any advantage is nullified. South Carolina, Missouri, Auburn have a bye while UGA plays the previous Saturday. Is there any statistically significant advantage or disadvantage? Georgia Tech is a nine-day break. How does this all shake out? Uh, and then he says, I'll take my answer off air. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> for the most part, it doesn't matter because UGA is far more talented than those teams and they couldn't make up the gap anyway. However... In 2010, uh, a Valdosta State University uh, researcher did a study about the uh, point advantage of bye weeks because the University of Alabama that year had all six 
home games, or I think six of their seven home games, they had uh, by their their players had or their opponents had bye weeks the week before and found that there was not any statistical correlation between their performance in the game and having the bye week versus other comparatively talented teams versus Alabama. Most statistical things will tell you that the bye week uh, bump is a myth. I think the biggest advantage of the bye week is injuries, right? So really the question would be, do the, do any of those teams have key injuries that they can get healthy over that bye week? I don't think it's a huge deal other than Auburn because Auburn is almost as talented, if not is, is almost as talented as UGA, right? So yeah, that, that it might, it's such a small margin that that's probably the only game it matters in. Last question comes from Sambo. It it was a few questions. So we'll dive right in. Is the Jake from Justin Fields, big media narrative as ridiculous and disrespectful of UGA's offense as it seems like it is to me. Yes. Two. (laughs) Uh, a bit off topic, but were the 2011 pro combat unis admirable in any way? No. I personally think the big... Oh, I'm sorry. This is his addendum here. I personally think the big helmet strike kills it. And if it weren't for that, it would be remembered a bit more fondly. Yeah, the helmet strike was stupid. And so was the logo. It was dumb the whole time. Talk, talk to bottom. <laughs> That's what you have to say about it. Uh, and then our very last segment of the show, which is truly near and dear to both of our hearts the dr james Fearfield troll corner presented by cheer wine it's the wine that gives you diabetes tm <sighs> oh my god we have so many of these all right let's do it okay so he separated these so kindly into two separate sections it is uh the quarterly check-in questions so we'll go through those first how would you equate simpsons paradox to this par- podcast <laughs> okay so simpsons paradox is the idea that uh, seemingly contradictory findings in studies will find that two antiparticles will interact without annihilating each other. And it has to do with the the uncertainty principle, given that you can't measure the state of two particles and you're actually only using post-historical data. And since you can't measure their interaction at the moment, you can't actually be sure how the interaction occurred. You're only using residual data in the timeline. So it has to do with wave, uh, wave state collapsing. So basically, like because of the way we measure particles at a subatomic level we can never measure their interactions in the moment we're oftentimes looking for post ad hoc evidence well not it's not really post ad hoc but, but basically we're looking for like evidence of their that their interaction leaves behind what was the question regarding in terms of simpsons paradox <laughs> uh how would you equate the simpsons paradox to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i think mostly it's just because like we can't tell whether or not people listen to it <laughs> it's just evidence <laughs> that they leave behind it could just be all these people just like downloading it and leaving it on their phones mm-hmm. that's how i feel a lot of the time i'm i'm so <laughs> i think people sometimes feel like i'm being false that i'm ex- exercising false humility when they talk about the podcast because i'm so astonished anytime anyone has listened to it mm-hmm. i'm just like oh you did why 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 did you do <laughs> why that did you do that <laughs> that's a funny thing you did my wife doesn't even listen to it yeah no she absolutely does not in in no way She's not even uh, in the room right now. Anyway. She wants to get as far away from it as she possibly can. Third yeah, question absolutely. is, how explosive? Uh, Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good explosive would be my answer. To be, to be, and to be specific, uh, UGA's explosiveness rate rank is currently fifth in the nation. Our rush explosiveness is uh, fifth and our pass explosiveness is seventh. So pretty, pretty damn explosive. What is the scariest stat you see this quarter? uh i i'm gonna interpret that to mean like stats that worry me mm. um so i will say currently the thing that worries me the most is just rush success rank being 33rd i worry about getting ran on especially in early downs uh success rate in the first down is uh 30 30th 
That's not great. Standard down success rate is 54th. We're just giving up a little bit too much in the run game for me to be totally comfortable with it. And then he has his Tennessee questions. Uh, where would you rate Tennessee, Florida, and Auburn on the scale of ugly oranges? Oh, Florida is number one. Oh, no, hold on. Let me stop that. I think it's Tennessee, Florida, and then Auburn. Florida is obnoxious, but the blue is the blue is the problem. Tennessee can't decide what color they want. <laughs> they can't. Uh, it's like 35 different colors. Question three. Are they low down? Yes. Question four. Are they dirty? Yes. Question five. Are they snitches, Nathan? And let me let me let me say this for the last time. Unequivocally, yes. <laughs> Question six. Is this Tennessee team overrated for their blowout win against Chattanooga? <laughs> Yeah, I think they're getting a little too much juice after taking down the Mox, the Mighty Mox. <laughs> uh, what a classic 45-0 win. And the very last question, I actually moved back to the end because it had to do with the James Fairfield troll corner. Uh, Sambo actually asked one more question. If James Bearfield was an SEC team other than the Dogs, who would he be? Oh, he would be LSU. <laughs> Why? Because uh, they're drunk. They're belligerent. They're smarter than they seem, but really they're just all about deep frying shit and getting wild. And there you have it, folks. James Beerfield in a nutshell. All right. You want to see us out? Yeah. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard today, you could feel free to give us a rating, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. Or on your podcast connoisseur, your podcastier, your podcast-dasher. Yeah, of choice. Uh, we'd love a rating. We'd love a review. We'd love any feedback that you have. You can get in touch with us with questions for Ask CBC or just to yell at us at Chapel Bell Curve on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can also contact us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you really liked what you heard today, feel free to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. There you can support the uh, podcast, the product that we got here, and you can join a really great group, as uh, as Justin said, of like-minded people and listen to all the stuff that we have to cut out because Nathan will get fired if we don't. Mm-hmm. Tell them about the merch. Oh, yeah. We got a merch store. If you go on Etsy and you search Chapel Bell Curve, or you just search Chapel Bell Curve Etsy, or if you just get on our Twitter account, uh, you can see we have merch. And we have all sorts of merch. And it's fun. We have a Kirby Smart jumping hat. We have a three moon Kirby wolf shirt thing. We have a Stats Are Beautiful shirt. We have a Stats For All Y'all shirt and hat right now. And we are about to introduce our evergreen, what we're calling like our evergreen shirts, where we'll, which will just be shirts and hats with just the logos. Mm-hmm. Uh, those should be up when this is released. I'm putting the pressure on Justin to get him out. Calm down. I have to edit this thing too. Yeah. Well, it's just slap the logo on there. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we will catch you this week in the classic city and I will catch you this weekend in Knox Vegas. But Knox until Vegas. then, go Knox dogs. Vegas. Go dogs. Go dogs.